Welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm one of your hosts, Kurt Flagel. And I'm your other host, Kim Ward. And today, we have uh, my good friend, Denise Fries, who I have had the honor of knowing for just about a year now. We're almost at the year mark. I'm really excited. This is this is fun. I've heard a little bit of your story because you shared it at youth group, which is how we met in the first place, which honestly, it's one of my favorite stories because if you hadn't come up, we wouldn't have gotten to know each other. Yeah, 100%. I'm really glad that we did. Yeah. You know, we had a series a while back where all the leaders shared their testimony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really nice hearing your story and letting students who may have been through that or m- might go through some extent of that hear what we've been through and how we've overcome that and healed through it. Speaking of which, I would love for you to share just a little bit of your background, your story. Okay. I came from a family of Garcias. I am the oldest of two. I lived on a farm and before we moved, I lived in San Bernardino and we lived in a small mobile home or trailer and we had little to no space. And then my parents lost their home and then we moved to the farm or dairy that we could kind of roam around and the fields surrounding that. So we had a lot of privacy and thankfully like my dad's boss was able to just let us live there rent free. So now I could have all the dogs that I wanted (laughs) and all the pets that I wanted. And that was really nice because we went from a very tight area to just living a little bit more freely. I mean, that sounds kind of idyllic. Like, oh, we're on this farm and everything is beautiful and I get to have all these pets. That sounds like a wonderful, like, trouble-free childhood. Mm. And I know that's not the case. That's correct. (laughs) So part of what we do is we talk about where life wounded us. Yeah. What was that like with your family? So my parents are Hispanic or Mexican, and it was really hard growing up because... We grew up with a lot of fear. My parents were very fearful. So growing up, I always had this idea or motto that when I became an adult, I had to take care of them, that I was going to help them get out of like financial burdens at some point because my parents were struggling, get them a home so that they wouldn't have to worry about where they would live, where our pets would live. So I felt like that was my responsibility when I was younger to do that eventually and fulfill that. And a lot of that pressure was put on me and that was often spoken about. Like um, when you're 21, you can you could help us get a house or something along those lines. So I grew up with a lot of pressure, but also a desire to help them because I didn't want them to suffer or go through that if I could prevent it or help them not go through that. Uh, A lot of the people I work with, you know, a lot of Hispanic families, Mm -hmm. you know, they live together, they stay together. Yeah. Everyone splits the bills. Yeah. That's, that's pretty typical, seems like, for the expectations. Absolutely. Of this is what you do. You don't leave. You don't move. (laughs) You don't move like three or four hours away. Yes. That sounds like a lot of pressure. Yeah, and it's interesting that you bring that up because when I finally decided to move out, my parents were upset that I wanted to move out before I got married. Yeah, there was a lot of pushback. 
And that's hard because you were raised, oh, well, you have to be respectful of your parents. You have to honor your parents. Mm -hmm. But I also know based on some of the things you talked about, they weren't always the safest place for you. Do you mind sharing about that? Yeah. So throughout my childhood, um, I experienced sexual abuse. And it started when I was, uh, it was younger than when my sister was born. So under six, I was maybe four, four or five in age. And I was often babysat by relatives or like extended aunts or uncles and things would happen, like sexual abuse more specifically. And I tell my mom and I tell my dad um, and they would talk to the family, but there was never any consequences. And sometimes I would still be taken back. So in my mind growing up, I felt like I don't matter. And regardless of what I say, there's not going to be any consequences. And looking back now, like when I have children, and if I ever had to go through what my parents did, I would tear walls to go find that person. (laughs) But I don't know if it was because they were also fearful that they would separate or break families apart. But I was never spoken about or what happened those days and their conversations. And even fast forwarding several years, one of the abusers found me on Instagram and he tried following me. Mind you, I had never spoken to my parents about it again. Like I had only spoken to my mom about it once in my teenage years and nothing really happened in our conversation. I just told her that I remembered and she was shocked. And that was a little bit confusing for me because it felt like they didn't believe me or they didn't really understand the gravity that had on my life growing up. But going back to my story, we were in and out and the guy found me on Instagram and I was very upset. And I told my parents, like, why would he do this? Why is he trying to reach out to me? And my dad just said, why are you making a big deal out of this if you don't remember? That was very shocking to me because this didn't just happen once. This happened several times throughout my childhood. And it seemed like they were just trying to quiet me down because maybe I was embarrassing them at In-N-Out. Mm. And so when I got even more upset, he, he just told me to shut up. It was very hard to not really be able to speak about what happened to someone or to parents who should be a safe place to speak to about that. Yeah. Even after we left in and out we went to Marshall's, and I didn't have a say whether or not we went to Marshall's because I didn't want to go because I was clearly upset. But my dad came up around the car and he hugged me and I, I like kind of dodged it, but he forced me to hug him. And that was also almost like a slap to the face because... I didn't have a say whether or not I wanted to participate in the hug, just like, and this is definitely to a lesser degree, but I didn't have a say whether or not I got abused. So it was just in the same vein, lesser degree. That's one instance where it felt very unsafe to speak about abuse or something that had happened, or even just showing that I was upset that this guy had found me on, on social media. Growing up in a Hispanic household, women don't usually have a voice, or if they do, it's because they tend to fight back for it or push back. So 
I couldn't really show any negative emotion, so I grew up with the role of making everyone laugh. It was my role to entertain our family, our dinner time. If it wasn't for me, it was really awkward. It was really silent, so I would ask questions here and there, say a joke so that everyone was happy, but I was really sad. I mean, that's a lot. It's bad enough it happened, but yeah. then getting put back in the situation again, mm-hmm. and sometimes again, and, yeah. and not being heard or protected by the people who, that's their job. <laughs> yeah. I grew up very isolated. Uh, we were always taken, at least in my childhood, to get babysat, and then... When I was old enough to be alone, I like home alone, I would. And I'd ask my mom not to take my sister to like babysitters because I didn't want the same thing to happen to her. I felt like it was my, it was under my control and it was my responsibility to make sure that didn't happen to my sister growing up. I felt like my mom wasn't sticking up for me and she was being passive about how my dad was speaking to me. So I resented both of them because... I felt like even as an adult, they didn't respect me and they didn't hear me out. And that was very difficult. So I think that was a moment I had a very deep resentment for both of them. And over the years, it just kept accumulating. There would be moments in our like everyday lives where I just made sure that they didn't have a say in my life. So I met Zed a little bit over a year ago. Yeah. Zed is your husband, who's also the youth pastor at the church that I volunteer at Mm -hmm. and that Denise obviously volunteers at. Correct. So before we even got engaged, my parents have only interacted with him maybe three times. I did not want my parents to hurt Zed. And I know that they wouldn't be rude to him, but I didn't want them to have any say in who I dated. I wanted to protect Zed from my parents So I made every wall that I could, I built every wall that I could to make sure that they didn't harm me in the process, my sister in the process, or Zed. So, so in all of this, with all this trauma and all this, you know, hurt, how did you meet God in the first place? Yeah. So how did I know God? My parents actually took me to church every Sunday I didn't know much about churches, but I always asked my mom to take me to church before my sister was born, so maybe around four to six, and she would take me to Catholic church, but after Michelle was born, we started going to a Christian church. But growing up, I thought God was angry at me all the time. I felt like the reason I felt alone or the reason I felt guilty or even just grossed out with the abuse that happened to me, I felt like that was God's punishment for me. There was just a lot of guilt and I felt overwhelmed every day about the burden of feeling like I had to do better, be better. Along with the responsibility, my, my mom has mental health issues. She's been diagnosed with bipolar disorder with, I think, like, psychotic features. So when I was a child, she voluntarily committed herself to a hospital. And I don't really remember this, but I remember she's spoken about it. But even more recently, a few years ago, she was going through the same thing, but even more 
volatile, it was very concerning to us. And like I mentioned earlier, my parents are afraid of the financial issues that could happen if we, if my mom seeked medical attention. And at this time I was living with my parents. It happened two years consecutively and one year after I moved out. It was very scary because my mom would feel like people were following her and she would hear voices. And I was in school, I was, I was finishing up school and she would stomp around the house when she was in this episode with like high heels like she was ready to leave like she had things packed and she would tell us that we had to be careful because people were coming and she would say the same thing to my dad and and during this time like she was aggressive not necessarily towards us but more so with my dad and we were starting to become very concerned and it got to the point where we just hid all of the knives we had a rifle because we lived on a dairy and So we hid everything. We hid her keys because she was scared that people were following her. So she wanted to leave. And we were able to handle it the first time. And she somehow came out of her episode. But the second year, she wasn't sleeping. So we weren't sleeping. And it was just very chaotic. Uh, My sister was scared. I was scared. We would lock our rooms We had all the knives in our like drawers in our dresser. So it was really difficult because I wanted my mom to seek medical attention and she wouldn't want to. She didn't have health insurance at the time and I didn't know what to do. And she was trying to convince my sister to go with her because she felt like my sister wasn't safe, like she wasn't safe. And now she was angry with us because we were asking her to get help. Somehow I was able to convince her and my dad that she needed help. So we took her and she wasn't put on the right meds. So it it happened again last year. Now I'm living over here and I don't even know that this is happening until my sister texts me when it's like too much for her. And I tell my dad, I was like, we need to take her. Like he was hesitant again for the third time. So I drove there. Like, my mom was just stomping around the house, like, saying that she was screaming and she was like, people are following me, you have to be careful, don't look at the window, and yeah, I spoke to her, I looked at different resources, and I had our pastors here to help me find those resources, I had Zed's family um, help me as well, and yeah, I felt like I wasn't alone, but I was still responsible in making sure that my family was okay, and that my mom was okay and Michelle wasn't overwhelmed with everything that was going on. So I convinced my mom and she was really scared. She felt like she wasn't going to be able to come out of the hospital, so we prayed. There was a lot of resistance within her, but she got inside, got helped, she got on the right meds, she got out, and she was angry with me. Mm. She was so mad. She told me that she didn't need help and that I shouldn't have intervened, and that it wasn't my place to do that. I still feel really bad about it, because I know that she didn't have medical coverage for that, and she was burdened with the expenses of that, but, like, I knew that if I hadn't intervened, it was going to be too much for my sister, and she's alone 
with my mom during this time and my dad's working so he can't do much even though she may resent me for it like if it kept everyone safe then that's that's what matters so I haven't brought up that conversation with my mom again and I don't know if I am ready to anytime soon but I'm okay knowing that at the very least she's safe and my family's Mm. safe that emotion right there Does that hurt that she accused you? I think so. I felt like all I was trying to do was make sure that everyone was safe. And I know, I feel like she may feel like I'm not a good daughter, but I have done so much. And not like in a prideful way, but I have lived my entire life with the motto of being a good daughter to them. And sure, like, especially in most recent years, I've been hurt and I've expressed that hurt and maybe they're not used to it. Or maybe they weren't given a space to do so with their parents. So it's different and it's not comfortable. But I did that so everyone would be okay and so that she could get the help she needs. So yeah, I think it it's hurt but also sadness that maybe she resents me for it. Have you and Zed talked about this? Like the dynamics between you and your mom? Yeah, I think everyone, his family is very aware of what our dynamic, our family dynamic looks like. And when I was moving out, it felt like a part of me was dying because I was moving out during a time where I didn't have any hope. And during that time, I felt like my dad was being a very unsafe space for my sister and I. I'll give some backstory because otherwise it might not make sense. So a year and a half ago, maybe a little bit more. So this was before Zed and I got engaged, but we were at the beginning of our dating stage. My dad had just lost his job and we were giving a time frame to move out. My dad was looking for a new job and they were also looking for a new place to live. And at the time we had maybe three dogs. So our dogs started going to the other side of the dairy and started essentially biting calves or cows. And it was costing his boss at the time a lot of money, like probably eight grand. I didn't know what they had been doing or all the damage they had caused. So I had spoken to my dad. I was like, hey, I understand that we're moving. I I keep hearing that they're causing chaos and harming calves. In the future, if it gets to a terrible spot, I will take them to the shelter. But rather than talking to me about it, he wanted to put down one of our dogs. He had a gun and my sister was outside with the dog and he asked my sister to go inside. Michelle comes in and she's just crying. She's, she can't breathe. And I'm confused because I didn't know this was happening. So I go outside and I look and my dad is pointing at our dog and... I just kind of step out of outside of the door and now he's pointing at me because I I came out of the door I'm in front of the dog now but he doesn't let his gun down with you in between yes him and the dog correct and I'm just like I'm sorry like I didn't know this was happening let me take them and he was like no it's done move out of the way I loved these dogs and I understand that he felt like there was no other decision but I am able to talk to him about it, but he's still pointing at me 
he brings down his gun at some point because he, he knows that I'm not going to move. And I take the dog to the shelter. He's angry. So I come back. They killed the other dog. Oh, wow. I couldn't find her. And my dad and my uncle, they were the managers. So they rallied up their employees. And it was kind of like a sport to go get the dog, the other dog. So I confront both my dad and my uncle and then they had an employee on the land and he started talking to my other dog who wasn't taking part in this and they're like if you keep barking I'm going to kill you and I was really angry I was like if you have a problem you will speak to me first and my dad shut me up and I was like no he's on our our yard he can leave and my uncle can leave and if you guys have an issue talk to me about it my dad was not pleased and so some time had passed, but we had another dog. The same thing happened, but now I think my dad was hesitant on doing the same thing. So instead he got my sister to hold down the dog while he kind of like essentially beat it. This is a humongous dog. And the dog is like my height if it stands up. And my sister is tiny, like she looks like a middle schooler. And she's outside and I'm like on the other side of the house I didn't know this was happening and I go outside of my room and all I see is my mom peeking through the window and I'm like, what is she looking at? I go outside and all I see is like Michelle bawling, holding the dog down while my dad continued. So during this time, we had like a deadline to move out. And again, because I felt like it was my obligation, we had a house ready to buy and it was under my name solely so I go outside and I am able to interrupt them so the dog flies like just books it and Michelle just falls to the ground crying and she can't like contain herself and I just confronted my dad and I was like how dare you put my sister in this situation I was just so angry I was angry that he didn't talk to me about it I was angry that my mom was being passive about it I was angry that he put my my sister in this and that he didn't even dare talk to me about it. But he pretty much shut me down and I, I wasn't taking it. And then he was so angry, he was cussing me out. And then he went to our other dog, the one that they hadn't killed previously. And it seemed like he wanted to do the same thing to that dog just to kind of scare it. And in that moment, I was like, if you continue doing this, I will cut the deal on the house and I am taking my sister with me. My dad went inside and I told my mom that I was very disappointed in them, that like this was her job as well, like she is a mom, she should be anything but passive, especially when it's like her daughter. I tried really hard in this part of my life to convince my sister to move out, but because we still had the dogs, she didn't want to move out. We rehomed the one that he hurt, and he he has a good home now. And I held it over their head for a long time, like if they did anything to my sister like that again, or if they hurt any of our pets again, that I would have them leave the house that they're now in, and that they would no longer be living in that house. I think... If I was in that position by myself and I didn't know Zed and I didn't have the support I now have, I wouldn't know what to do. Like, I'm a very hopeful person. I 
I am joyful, I love laughing, but in that season I felt like, like I was dying. And I felt like I didn't have any hope. And I just felt sad and scared of what that meant for my sister and I, what that meant for our relationship, our relationship with my parents. That's when I moved out. And I think having that conversation with both my mom and my dad was an eye-opener to them. That you challenged them yes. like that? Yeah. It was really hard for me to even be in the same room with them. But my dad knew that there was a strong possibility of me not signing the house or the contract for the house. And I think he was really scared about that. So it was the last day that I was going to be at the house before we moved. It was the last day. I was I had all my things packed and... Our pastors now, Zed's family, I had a really close friend. They were like trying to find any resource for me and, uh, and my sister to find somewhere else to live. And Zed's parents offered us to stay with them for a few weeks. Um, and my goal was to move to the coast. Um, so she opened her house and, and yeah, it was a very difficult time because I just wanted my sister to be safe. And I felt like she wasn't, or I felt like maybe she thought I was abandoning her. Mm. But I told her, like, it's okay if you're not ready. I And I, I was trying to rehome all of our pets because I just didn't want that to be a reason she stayed. But she decided no. So that day, my dad had a conversation with me, and he was like, I want to know what you're feeling. And I laid it all out. I said, like, several years ago... I told you about the abuse and about how that guy was reaching out to me and you told me to be quiet. And then when I confronted your employees about killing my other dog, you told me to shut up. And I'm signing this house for you and I've lived my entire life trying to be the best daughter that I could for you guys and you're not proud of me, you're not treating me in any way that I think a father should. And I just remember saying like, if I was my own dad, I would be so grateful and so proud of how you've handled yourself and how, like, who you are. And I, I said, like, you've diminished me several huge and very difficult times of my life. And you don't give me a, a place to speak, a spot to speak. And anytime that I do, if it's not joyful, you don't want to hear it. I said, I don't trust you. And I want to, I want to at least have a good relationship with you and I forgive you, but for us to have a relationship, like I need to trust you. And he like apologized. And this was the second time that he had apologized to me in my life. Wow. Yeah. And from that day on, we've had a, a good relationship. There's still been ups and downs and we don't always see eye to eye and we still have unpleasant conversations but without the support that I did or without feeling like it was okay for me to be angry I wouldn't have said any of that and I feel like God really spoke through me like stop keeping all of this in Denise like just let it go it is not your responsibility to make sure that your dad is happy or to make him feel comfortable this is also your story and they've had an impact on you and whether it's been positive or negative like they should know so it, it makes me sad thinking that I went through that, but like my relationship with my dad has changed and now it's good. It's better. 
I have joy thinking of our relationship and where it is now and where it can go. Mm. And I feel like I'm more compassionate than I had been before because it was like, for me, I need to defend myself. I need to defend my sister. And I was going to do anything that I could to make sure that we were both safe. I'm just really honestly blown away by the fact that you have a relationship with God mm-hmm. when you've had these kind of distortions. You know, all of our parents, no matter how good they are, they're finite, mm-hmm. right? They're finite human beings and God is infinite. Yeah. So even the best parents are finite representations of God and there's always going to be some kind of distortion and yeah. how we view God because they're a big mm-hmm. part of the lens through which we view God. But Denise, to hear your story, the distortions are gigantic and there's a lot of people who yeah. never get past that to accept God as Father, accept His existence and begin a relationship with Him. Mm-hmm. So it's just mind-blowing to me That with all of that, you've come to a place where you believe that God is your father, your heavenly father. Yeah. And are walking with him. So I'm still like going, how? Like (laughs) your parents in some major ways did not show you the reality of of Mm -hmm. God as father. Right. So what do you know about God that you value? And who in the world showed you that? I'm still like wondering. So... Having a, a place to feel all the feelings and feel angry. A safe place. Yeah, feeling that and being able to express that safely. Like Zed was hearing me out and he was like, maybe be compassionate. And in a, in a very safe way or very gentle way, he was like, like your dad is going through a hard time. Like he just lost his job. He doesn't know where you guys are going. <laughs> and this would cause some, some back and forth not so gentle conversations and even though I was not ready for that like even just speaking my frustration and my hurt like I was finally able to do that and do it to someone who rather than fuel my anger he just heard me and then he brought me into his family and his support system and they agreed like it was the situation I was in was messed up and it was okay to feel that like I didn't need to suppress that And they just loved me so well. Like, they offered resources. They were trying to help uh, my sister and I move out when I wanted that. Zed's mom opened her house for me. I was so grateful. And I was, like, constantly just sobbing at their kindness and just them loving me. And so what I love about God, there's this one song, and it says, like, you can come here and rest You don't need to do anything else. You can just come here and rest. And so I, I resonate or I I feel that because I think a lot of my life I've more or less performed so that I could be a good person or I could be accepted. Yes. Accepted or loved. And now I, I don't have to do that. Like I can just be me and, and it's okay to be me. Yeah. That is so beautiful. Yeah. And that's new for me. Like, sometimes I still get in my head, like, am I okay? Am I coming off a certain way? Do I need to be more like this or so-and-so? But just that huge switch of, like, I can just rest. I don't need to 
quote-unquote protect God from my ugly parts or parts of my life that I'm still hurting in like he knows it and like he understands the hurt like who more to understand than him and so a year ago if you asked me if God was funny I would have said I don't know (laughs) I don't I don't think so I don't think God says any jokes or is funny but now if you ask me like I think that God is joyful and loving and we even like in in regard to Zed like I feel like I try to prank on Zed and God doesn't let me sometimes and then he does the prank on Zed instead. (laughs) So for a few weeks Zed would be in the shower and I would just sneak into the restroom and make it cold and run out and Zed would just be screaming. But then Zed told me if you keep doing that I'm going to do it back to you. There was one night I was like, God, I really, really want to do this, but I'm not going to because I don't want to make Zed bad. But can you do it? <laughs> and like, I'm a, I go to sleep very fast. So I fell asleep after that prayer. And then all I hear is Zed screaming in the shower. And then he came out. He was like, do you know what happened? And I was like, no. And I really didn't know. And he was like, the shower just went cold on me. And I was like, Really? And I asked that, please don't be mad, but I asked God to make it cold. And then he had cold showers for like the rest of the week. And he does it, he has it still sporadically, but every time I shower, perfect temperature. (laughs) A year ago, you didn't know if God had joy or, you know, humor. So what changed? How did that perspective about God change? I feel like... Before, I was only allowed to feel positive emotions. Like, I could only feel good things. And there was never a time for me to feel angry or sad or even grieve, like, the relationship that I could have had with my parents. And now, God has given me the space to feel all the things, and that's okay. Like, there's a a time for everything. I feel like God accepts me with the good and the bad and as cliche as that sounds like I could finally just tell God like how angry I was at my parents or with my situation or even the responsibility or pressure that came with that it's okay to acknowledge that my parents made a mistake or that I made a mistake in how I would maybe interact with them So it's no longer me trying to perform and make sure that I get to heaven, but instead that I let God accept me and bring me in and heal me through what I've been through. Yeah. I think what I noticed earlier is you said Zed asked questions. Yeah, so we met on Hinge. We were doing online dating, and I think I could say this for him too. Like, we didn't think anything would come of online dating, Yeah, we matched and we both said, I don't really know if this person will like me back or if we would align in any way. And I thought negatively of Zed first. I was like, he's saying on his profile that he's a youth pastor. Now, is this is this him just like fluffing it up just to have more matches? Guys do that. (laughs) Girls, too. Yeah. So I gave it a shot and we talked maybe maybe that night or the next day but pretty early on I didn't want to feel 
like I had to withhold any information. So I told him, I told him my life story. I told him about the abuse and he was very compassionate and gave me the space to talk that I wasn't really ever given and especially not by family members. So it was different and it was good. It sounds like it changed a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have to earn my space to talk is what it felt like. Mm. The first thing he said after I told him what my relationship with my dad was, do you want to give this to God? And this was our first conversation on the phone. He was like, do you want to give this to God? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what that looks like. That's obvious. (laughs) So we prayed through it. And I think that was the beginning. Even though I was still very angry, it was the beginning of me having compassion, but also setting like a boundary with my family. Hmm. If there was one thing that you would say to someone who is in the midst of going through what you went through, what message would you want to tell that person? I think because my hope was, I felt like it was dying or it was getting taken away from me. But I would say it doesn't look like it right now, but just give it a chance. Like your life could be a whole different 180 in a month or in a year. I am so grateful that that I had a support system who helped me. I had only known Zed for maybe three months, Zed's family for a little less than that, and they loved me so well. And now I'm married. Now I live at the coast. My relationship with my parents is so much better. My sister and I talk every day. You don't even know the goodness that could happen Mm. down the road. Mm, That's great. It just reminds me of the third saying at church, hope beyond our brokenness. Mm -hmm. There's always always hope beyond our brokenness. Or what Chris Valentin says, if it's not good, it simply means that God's not done yet. Yes. Yeah, sometimes it's not always the most comforting thing in the middle of our pain. It's not what we want to hear, but it doesn't make it not true. Mm Yeah. You know? We, we don't know. I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have guessed that it had been that short of a time that all these changes have happened. Like, mm-hmm. just a little bit before we met. Yeah. You know, not that long. Yeah, absolutely. And look at the amazing things <laughs> that God's done in the last year and a half or so, two years. Absolutely. And still going. And still doing. Mm-hmm. There was a song that I would listen to all the time, and, and I still do. It's called Wait by Cheyenne Goss. Just wait. God has already been where you are going. Like that in itself, that alone, is like God speaking hope for us or into us. That is a great word right mm-hmm. there. That is awesome. Yeah, I really have loved having you on this. This is Thank you. This has been such a blessing and you know, obviously I'm blessed I get to see you every week. Thank you. Pretty Kim. much. Which is awesome. But one of the things we like to do to wrap it up yeah. is to just ask you for to pray for the people that are going to be listening to the podcast. Okay. Especially those who are in similar circumstances to what you went through. Absolutely. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing me to say some of my story. And thank you for just giving us this time to do so. God, I ask for anyone listening 
who's going through something similar or possibly even something worse. Jesus, I ask that you just speak to them, God, that you continue to reveal yourself and any misunderstandings of who you are, God. I ask that you just drop that veil down, God. Yes. Mm-hmm. Jesus, you are you are hopeful. You breathe life into our lives. You are a great friend. Jesus, you are joyful even when I didn't think you were. And you are so loving. And you have completely changed my life. And I ask that you do the same with the people who are listening. Jesus, any hopelessness that they may have, I ask that you just breathe hope. And any emptiness that they may feel, God, I ask that you breathe life into it, God. This isn't forever. And with you, God, anything can be possible. I ask that you protect our friends and just give them the love that they need, Lord. You know what their needs are. You know what their situations are like and what they're struggling with, whether they're feeling unwanted or unloved or even abandoned, God. We speak hope and life and love and belonging in those areas, God. We seal those things in our friends, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 I love that you called everyone listening our friends. That's so awesome. So true. Oh, I'm going to use that. (laughs) So good. Wow, my mind is blown by the healthy person sitting before me. Thank you. From where you were. If you are not a picture of the reality of God, I don't know what is. So thank you so much for your willingness to come on and share this tough stuff and being concerned about if we were going to be able to handle it. Wow. Just thank you. You're amazing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Appreciate you both. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Life Hurts, God Heals. And if you're curious to know more about us and what we offer, we are part of a larger organization called Elevate Slow, which is a disciple-making movement intent on seeing the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, planted in every culture around the world. If you'd like more information, you can go to our website, elevateslow.com. That's elevateslo.com. And as always, please remember that you are God's beloved, so be loved.